This journey that we call life can sometimes be disorienting. And as we live into our world, we kind of hold on to some phrases that help us orient ourselves when we find that disorientation that we can easily recite to help us make sense of a world that sometimes is senseless. Phrases that orient ourselves in disorienting times. I think probably one of the top five phrases that helps us try to do that is the phrase, life isn't fair. And we've heard it, and we might have even said it, especially to our kids as their innocence, as they grow up, kind of pushes up against the injustice of the world. And one of the things we say is, well, guys, life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. It's kind of this all-encompassing reason to the injustice of life. Life isn't fair. It's an answer that needs no explanation, right? Life isn't fair. There's nothing else to explain. Life isn't fair. That's just the way it is. Life isn't fair. Nothing else to say. Is that true, though? Is that all there is to say? One of the joys of my life is to reflect back on how my kids have grown up. And my kids have had the sense of justice since they were little, much more than I was when I was their age. I remember one afternoon, my wife and I were taking, uh, we were going shopping and we had to, you know, we took, we had to, because <laughs> they were six and three. You can't leave the kids at home at six and three. I tried several times, but it's against the law. It's fine. So they went with the shopping and uh, they, this, this store had this indoor playground. You know, a little slide and some, you know, some stuff for kids to play on. And the goal is for the kids to stay busy while the parents shop and maybe can shop even longer and spend more money. And the slide was great. It was great for like a three-year-old and a six-year-old, my little guy. And I decided I was just going to stay back and just hang out and just be there with the kids. And my wife went and did her magic stuff and shopped. And my kids were going up and down the slide, and it was wonderful. It was great. They're having a great time, and all the kids were, were mingling and hanging out. And then comes this 11, 12-year-old kid, big kid. He comes in, and he cuts to the front of the line. He actually cuts in front of my 3-year-old daughter. And I'm about to go, hey, little guy, is there any other people around here? Because somebody should have left you at home. And my son goes over to this tall kid and he points at him and he's looking up at him and he says, you can't do that. And this 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid kind of looks shocked and he's like, as if no one's ever said that to him before. And then he gets out of line and he goes to the back of the line and I'm like, yeah, speak justice, my son. Speak justice. Then a couple years later, my wife is in an outdoor playground, again at a slide. I don't know where all the drama comes at these slides. They need to get rid of the slides. But my daughter's about to go down the slide, and a kid behind her pushes her down the slide. And before my wife could get involved, my daughter stands at the end of the slide waiting for this kid to come down. She puts her hands on her hips and says, that's not very nice. Speak justice, my daughter. Speak justice. Now, these are just two small examples. 
But I bet you have examples like that to share in your own life, and there's a reason. Because sure, life isn't fair, but that's not all there is to say. Because that's not all God has to say. God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice who speaks justice. A God who frees a group of slaves, the Israelites, held in Egypt, goes toe-to-toe with Pharaoh and frees the slaves from Egypt. It's interesting in my life, I have kind of this interesting relationship with, with slavery and freedom and justice. You know, I, I went to Tanzania in 2006 here at Prince of Peace, our first trip there, and I went there with the knowledge that I was told because I was adopted that I was half black and half white, I was half black and half German, and I went to Tanzania, and they said, well, what are you? And I said, I'm half black and half German. And they go, no, you're not half black. No way. Maybe Northern African. So I always had that kind of sense of, well, who am I? What's going on in this whole mix of things? So my wife bought me an Ancestry.com test about seven years ago. I spit in the little tube, sent it off. Come to find out, I'm 75% Scotch-Irish. <laughs> Amazing. I got to go to Scotland and say, my peoples, I'm here. And I'm also 25% Nigerian. And as you go through Ancestry.com, you can kind of figure out where your ancestors went to and where they came from and, how, you know, what, what, you know, what uh, century they were in and whatever place. And it, within my own body, within my own persona, I descended from slaves. But I'm also a descendant of slave owners. How does that work? How do you find justice in all of that? That's one of the reasons why I believe the story of Moses coming to Pharaoh and saying to Pharaoh, let God's people go, speaks justice. The Israelites, God speaking justice to them, to their time. I'm always amazed that one of the things that our slave owners did in this country, some of my descendants, they converted their slaves to Christianity in order to educate and civilize them they gave them the Bible probably not the right thing to do if you were an oppressed uh, or if you're an oppressive system it's to give the Bible to a group of people who are oppressed because this is a book of freedom this is a book of justice this is a book of exodus now, some of our slave owners, some of my descendants, actually created what they called a slave Bible. And they would actually take out of the Bible those stories of freedom and justice. They edited the Bible. So they would only leave in things like obeying your master and things like that. But you can't book, uh, uh, put a book of freedom and, into a group of slaves' hands and not expect that the word of God would come through. And we know that it did. And we know that it did through the songs of our African slaves in America, out in the fields, singing songs of justice. One another. That's where our gospel music came from. Singing as they're picking cotton or doing their work, singing songs of justice and freedom. Legend has it that Harriet Tubman, 
who was a freed slave herself, would come back over and over again and free other slaves and bring them the freedom. And she would sing a song to warn the slaves that when the hounds, when the dogs were coming after them to go into the water to throw off the scent of the hounds, and she would sing, wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water. God's going to trouble the water. God's going to trouble the water. Do we have a story in this book of God troubling the water? Where else did slaves wade in the water to leave their pursuers behind? Well, it's the story of the Exodus. It's the story of the Israelites. Moses had the people wade in the water as the Pharaoh's armies were coming after them. They wade in the water, and God troubled the water and parted the Red Sea, and these slaves made it to the other side to safety, troubling the water. See, God speaks justice. And as God leaves the people from slavery, God tried and is still trying to do something remarkable in our day. God is trying to work through people. Ordinary, everyday people like you and I. And people who are willing to speak for justice. People that are willing to just wade in the water. Trusting that God is going to do the troubling. Because God calls us to speak justice too. And that's what we're going to see in the story in the book of Numbers. Anybody spend a lot of time in the book of Numbers? It's a great read. But there's this story, this magical story that's tucked into the book of Numbers. And it's a story about these sisters, Terza and her sisters. And one of the main topics, one of the main themes of the book of Numbers is that Moses is trying to make sure that all of these tribes are able to have justice with one another. See, at this time, the Israelites are in tribes. They're not a nation. They're in tribes with their own leaders and their own power structures. And one of the most important things that Moses has to do is to make sure that land was equally distributed between the tribes. Moses, taking account of the number of people in every tribe, making sure that the land was equally distributed between the tribes, so not one tribe would have more land than the other. And the system that they would use to pass on land and possessions was through male children. Now, that seems really odd to us to, to this day, right, in our day, but the justice focus wasn't on gender. The justice focus was on the best way to pass on land within the tribe. And the best way that they came up with was through the male children. Here's how the logic went. This is how their culture worked. If you were a son with land and possessions, you married somebody outside of your tribe, but you stayed with your tribe. She came into your tribe, and the land and possession stayed with your tribe. Justice. Everybody had what they needed. Now, if they had a different system where if you were a daughter with land and possessions and you married outside of your tribe, her husband would come with her, uh, with her into her tribe, 
with all of the possessions and land would go outside of that tribe, creating an unequal balance, an unequal balance. So when you live in tribes, and that's your system, this is a really, really big deal. But here comes the question. What happens when a father dies and doesn't have any sons? Well, they figured that out too. So what would happen is the closest relatives of that father, probably brothers, maybe even uncles, would take that land and possessions, again, keeping it within the tribe. But it really doesn't bring about restorative justice, especially with the daughters. Because the daughters without a father and without brothers would be left with no family name, no land, and no possessions. And while we might be hearing this story for the very first time, this is not the first time that this happened because God was always working towards restorative justice and trying to help his, God's people go, hey, there are going to be widows and orphans and aliens in your midst. There are going to be people that have no land. There are going to be people that have no possessions, and you're going to need to take care of them. Widows, orphans, and the aliens in your midst. Over and over and over and over again, God reminds God's people to remember to take care of the widows and orphans and aliens in your midst, the people that have no land and no possessions. But justice, justice is different. Justice is different than just simply taking a handout, waiting to be remembered waiting for the generosity of others to come to you. And there's a group of sisters who would know this. This is what we read in the book of Numbers. Then the daughters of Zephalahad came forward, and Zephalahad was a son of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Malkar, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, a member of the Massonite clans, that tribe. And the names of his daughters were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. I don't know if any of you guys are planning on having kids. Some great names <laughs> right there. Actually, I said that last night, and a guy came up to me and said, hey, my daughter named her daughter's middle name Tirza. Wow! Somebody's been reading numbers. <laughs> Tirza. These daughters, they stood before Moses. Eleazar, the priest, the leaders, and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And they said, our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. They continued, why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan? Because he had no son. Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Then Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zephalahad are right in what they are saying. You shall indeed let them possess an inheritance among their father's brothers and pass the inheritance of their father unto them. You shall also say to the Israelites, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall pass an inheritance on to his daughter. And in that moment, the whole system flips on its head. Restorative justice comes. It comes. 
And it, becomes, it comes because these daughters, these sisters, decide they're going to wade in the water. And they're waiting for God to trouble the water. Can you imagine the conversation between those sisters? Someone had the idea. Maybe it was Terza. Maybe Terza had the idea to go, hey, guys, this, we know what's coming our way. Our, our father died with no sons. We know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to just look at us and point to us. All our possessions are going to be taken away. We're going to be homeless. We're not going to have a name. What are we going to do about this? And someone said, let's go talk to Moses. Can you imagine the other sisters going, what? Moses doesn't know who we are. And by the way, our dad died from his own sin. Who's going to talk to us? Who's going to talk to us? They're not going to listen to us. They're going to ridicule us. But they decided to wade in the water. And they got the audience with Moses. And not only did they get an audience with Moses, they get an audience with the high priest. They get an audience with the whole congregation. Everybody comes to this meeting because it is important. Life isn't fair these daughters are expecting to hear. But they wade in the water because they believe that's not that all there is to say. They speak to Moses. And God speaks through Moses back and brings restorative justice. You shall also say to the Israelites, if a man dies and has no son, then you shall pass his inheritance on to his daughter. It's a cosmic shift it's massive. Can you imagine the celebration of those in that congregation? Those sisters must have been ecstatic. Guess who wasn't happy? A lot of the dudes. A lot of the guys. Maybe not even, maybe the, even the brothers weren't happy. Zephalahad had some land, he had some possessions, he didn't have any daughters or didn't have any sons. Do you know who knew that? Do you know who knew the law? The brothers. They must have been going, all right, we're getting extra land, guys. No, you're not. It's called justice. Restorative justice. Because God speaks justice. They waited in the water. And somehow I have to believe that inspired people like Harriet Tubman some 3,000 years later, trusting that God would trouble the water and bring them out on the other side. Speak justice, Terza. Speak justice. Now, there's a lot of injustice in our world that disorients us. The phrase, life isn't fair, can be easy to say, right? But God who speaks justice tells us that that is not all there is to say. We too are called to speak justice. We too are called to wade in the water, trusting that God's going to do the troubling. But we need to step in and wade in the water. So wherever you are in life, wherever you are waiting to take that slide, there's a lot of drama around slides, and you have them in your own lives. When you're waiting in line for your turn, where can you wait in the water? Trusting that God will do the troubling. And you know what? Speaking justice might be as simple as two little phrases. You can't do that. 
or even put your hands on your hips and say, that's not very nice. Let's pray. Lord God, you come to us through this word, the story of Terza and her sisters. We ask, Lord, as they waited in the water and as people like Harriet Tubman waited in the water, that we would speak justice in our own time, in our own day, by waiting in the water, trusting that you will do the troubling. We ask for courage. We ask for strength. We ask for partnership and a community of people that will wade in the water with us. We ask all of this in your most holy and precious name.